Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Howdy, folks. Happy Friday. Thank God it's Friday. Uh, gee, nothing happened last night. Nothing at all. Not not a thing, not a thing in the hockey world. Nothing happened whatsoever, and we're going to talk about that nothing a little bit later. Um, well, and uh, Kevin, we're going to do our we're going to do our pet peeve thing at the end of the show because uh, Russ is as as fashionably late as usual. So we're just going to go right into it with uh, Dan Petru, uh, who has limited time today, but we're very thankful for him coming on the show because we have Game Seven. Islanders and Tampa down at the Amelie Arena with the the world's biggest uh, scoreboard in the world. Actually, the second biggest next to to the uh, stadium in Dallas. Um, But, Dan, um, I'm surprised that we're here, especially when Tampa was up 2-0 in the second period. But uh, the Islanders came back, tied up the game on a Mayfield goal, and then won it on that pathetic giveaway by Blake Coleman early in overtime. What are you expecting out of tonight's game? Is it going to be closer to the eight nothing thing, or do you think it's going to be a tight game? No, I don't think it's going to be like the eight nothing game. I think that was an anomaly. Um, I really don't. I don't really know what to expect tonight. I just know that I'm anxious and nauseous, and uh, never quite experienced <laughs> anything like this in my life. Uh, I've never been through this before, so this is something uh, that will be fun to watch tonight. I really don't know. Um, like I said, I don't think it'll be the eight nothing game we saw. In game five, those things happen during the course of a series from time to time. I think we'll definitely be expecting more of a game six or a maybe game one or two. Um, I think you're going to see the aisle. I think it'll be defined by how how the play is in the neutral zone. Because when Tampa's rolling, they have gotten through the Islanders' neutral zone and and Borchak relatively easily. But when the Islanders get their game going, it's the complete opposite. Like it's almost like a tale of two games, game six. Uh, the uh, the Islanders were chasing the Lightning a lot of the game, uh, especially in the especially in the first period. And Tampa had no problem with breakouts and zone entries. And all of a sudden, the Islanders got playing their game a little bit. And next thing you know, it's uh, Bavillier is getting showered with beer. So um, I, I honestly, I'm not. I, you said you were surprised. I'm not surprised we're here. Tampa Bay is really good. They're just as good as they were last year. And the Islanders are, are a very good team. Um, they like the look. They don't have the star power that Tampa has. But collectively, the sum of their parts is really good. So uh, with that being said, I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. It's hard to predict a game seven. They're very unpredictable. But um, if, I'm, if I'm an Islanders fan, uh, I like my chances. Well, I'm, I'm surprised in the sense that when they're up to nothing, I expected Tampa to, to, to wrap it up. And, you know, I originally picked Tampa in seven because I thought it was going to be a really close series. And it's turned out to be that. But, um, Kevin – uh, John Cooper, as expected, did not give us any kind of hint about whether Kucherov is available or not available. So he's going to play this out. He, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt if Kucherov has three broken ribs that he's going to skate around in the pregame skate tonight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this uh, 
series has is deserving of more drama uh, going into Game Seven. I mean, it's really been a tremendous uh, series in terms of the tension going back and forth. And um, you know, I I, I think uh, the Islanders were a good fit as an opponent for Tampa because they do some things that cause Tampa problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, Trotz versus Cooper has been fun as well. Um, you know, uh, Trotz does a great job of stymieing offense. Um, and, you know, what was interesting, prior to that eight-goal explosion, um, the Islanders, for the, at least for the playoffs, not for the series, um, they were actually had scored more goals than Tampa. Um, so I've been impressed that the Islanders have found enough goals, with, even with Anders Lee out. Um, and I expected this series to be like this. Um, I had picked seven games as well. I took Tampa. I thought it, w- it would be like this. And I, I agree with Dan's assessment. I think anything could happen here. Although, don't you have a feeling it's going to be decided by the final shot of the series? <laughs> like It sure seems like it, it will. Anthony, um, you know, I think I made my, I think I made my thoughts pretty clear yesterday about, you know, the the way the Islanders play. I mean, obviously, Islanders fans have no problem with it, and if probably if I was an Islanders fan, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But from the sort of non-Islander fan uh, outside the box. Uh, perspective i i i find you know some of the things that have happened over the first three rounds a little distasteful and of course i raised the ire of uh some islander fans saying you know targeting of mcavoy targeting of carlo oh that's just happenstance no it all this stuff happened against the islanders so it's i i don't know whether and you know i may be wrong and dan i know you've got this curious look on your face so i'm waiting i do yeah i'd like to jump in after anthony yeah yeah (laughs) but but then we'll get to corinne but i i you know i don't know whether the islanders will be able to get away with that stuff tonight I think it'll be pretty tight. This will be one of the games where they know where the rest of the microscope is going to be on. But again, we always have to we have that delicate balance of trying to maintain the flow of a game while making sure to make the calls that are necessary that that are that need to be made or made, especially when you have multiple officials on the ice. You should be able to. Again, the Islanders have only done what kind of the referees have allowed them to do. Yes, and I've said that throughout this, and I've said that throughout the postseason. Mm-hmm. And if you want to make that a point of contention, I, I angle more towards the officiating allowing mm-hmm. it than I do the Islanders. You know, the Islanders like Using okay, it, we, yeah. we we know what we know what the edge is. Mm-hmm. It's up to the officials to determine when enough's enough. Is it the yeah. officials or or is it NHL tradition? Because I think the the officials will do whatever they're being told to do. Um, I- Tradition's and a part I, of it. And, and, yeah, I think the tradition of allowing the players to settle playoff games is just is too overwhelming. And until they're told not to do that, I think they're going to continue to do that. I, I don't agree. I think it varies depending on who's the ref, actually. And you know what? Well, that's always the case. You said, you said, Mike, that uh, you, you think it might be determined by, by whoever has the last shot. I'd be fine with that as long as it's not determined by whoever's the ref. And tonight... There's no Chris Lee. So that's one good thing. Just saw that. So I'm happy with that because Bob's ribs are very, very thankful in that respect. Well, yes, they are. So am I because I don't think this game should be officiated by this guy. I'm sorry, but he's been consistently bad throughout the postseason. So 
what well, is he even doing in the third round still of his shitting games? And, I don't get it. And where's Wes McCauley? But, uh, but, yeah, he's injured, apparently. They're hoping yeah. he'll return yeah, for the final. But Dan, yeah. okay, Dan, you were looking sort of puzzled at what I was trying trying to say. And what I'm saying, you know, I give the Islanders full credit. I mean, they're pushing the edge of the envelope, and as long as you're not pay, being penalized for that, you know, if if you're if you can do what you you've been doing over the three rounds and get away with it, God bless. But I, like I look at it and I'm like. I mean, Russ and I were both of the same opinion during the Bruins series. They were targeting McAvoy. They, Why not? Why wouldn't you, though? They're finishing their checks on McAvoy. Well, finishing your check is one thing, but trying to knock him out of the game is another. There be, but that's what the Islanders do. That fourth line will wear on you. So over the course of a seven-game series, you might notice it. But, I mean, that's how no, they play. You know what it is, Dan? And I heard it on Sirius again this wait, wait, morning. Wait, before we, before we, we yeah, need to jump in. I love the fact that teams like the big bad Bruins, the big bad Bruins of these are the big bad Bruins. I've never seen the big bad Bruins whine more about officiating. And it's, it's just, I just find that really. Well, funny. listen, everybody has whined about officiating to be Because it's a league-wide problem. And it yeah. starts with the league. The whole is letting a, the boys decide the game is ruining the sport. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a league-wide problem. There's no question. But what I'm saying is when you get calls like on Sirius and they said, yeah, we took out Kucherov, it's like, that really shouldn't be the point of a game is to take out a guy. Because even no Tampa, the said, to do that. did a fan say that or did a, a No, a fan did. A fan did. That's, that's, that's a stupid phone call. I know, but it is the but that is the mentality right now. And look, whether he plays or not, I think Tampa still has enough that they could beat the Islanders. Of course. And they I give do. the Islanders and I give the Islanders credit because yeah, the way they play, they play full max out, and that has been getting them great results. But yeah, it's a league-wide problem. There's nothing that's going to happen. And, and you know what, Corinne? Um, it really doesn't matter. They all stink at the moment. Like, it doesn't matter which ref you get in there. It's like we're seeing guys – basically what Mike said the other day is when that one ref was not mic'd up and I guess was talking to somebody and said they are going to let guys settle things, this is what happens when you let the players settle things. That's what Are you telling me that Conor McDavid didn't draw one penalty in that series? Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, it's uh, – and, okay, and like I said, as Kevin said, there is a tradition in the league to let things yeah. go in the playoffs. I get that. I, I referenced it yesterday. I remember watching a series in the late 80s between Chicago – this was like the Roanick Larmer, Chicago Blackhawks against the Minnesota North Stars, and literally there were bodies strewn all over the ice, and nothing was getting called. The only time somebody got called was when somebody got high stuck in the face and he was he drew blood and there was no option. Even that wasn't called this year. I mean, look well, at the Corey, Corey Perry's nose for crying out loud. He yeah. looks like Rambo. I think it's affecting the audience product negatively. No, no, it is. There's no question it is. I mean, I, I'm hearing – you're hearing it from all different folks. You're hearing it yeah, from – Yeah, I agree. Every fan base, yep. young, old, it's affecting everybody. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sticking with the prediction that I made at the beginning of the round. I, I said Tampa and seven, but I do have, I do have a little bit of hesitancy, Dan, because Kucherov, even if he plays and is, he's probably, you know, 50, 60%, depending on the severity of whatever injury he has, 
I mean, he's a if he's out of the lineup and they replace him with a Matthew Joseph, that's a big loss. But even if he's in there at fifty percent, he's not the same guy who's the the impact player that he's been throughout the playoffs. Yeah, but fifty percent of Kucherov is still better than probably eighty percent of the league. Yeah. And I guess if I'm John Cooper, I look at it this way: All right, he's he's half the player right now. Can you give me ten good minutes? Can you give me a couple of good power plays when I need a pass or a shot? I think yeah. we're talking about maybe this game being decided in the last shot. All he needs is one or two moments. Yeah, I think ultimately, look, I think any game seven's a coin flip, right? And I think, yep. mo- and I've covered enough of them to, to know that. But I think the only big edge that Tampa has is yes, they have the final change and they can decide at times who they want against Mayfield, what line, who they want against, you know. So that is a big deal. And I think, yes. I think, um, they're going to do some things with Braden Point because he is the one guy that the Islanders don't have an answer for. And that's, you know, and the Islanders will do the same thing with Barzell, but they won't have the home ice change. That's the only difference. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to be said how, and Kevin, you first, it has to be said how amazing it is that Braden Point tonight could tie Reggie Leach for the most yeah. consecutive goals. I mean, I was nine years old, but I remember watching that. Ten games in a row, Leach scored a goal. and. You know, in a league that, especially in a playoff where Montreal and Islanders are playing, you know, maximum shutdown hockey, a goal, a, a guy scoring nine goals in nine consecutive is unbelievable. Yeah, and and we're still just kind of discovering him. Like, uh, uh, you know, I mean, everybody knows how well he's played in the the postseason, but you know, he still doesn't have the level of claim that he probably should have for how good he really is in the playoffs. But it's been phenomenal, like. Uh, and it's it's so hard to score goals, uh, and you look at the in this uh, 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 postseason the the defense that's being played by the Islanders, uh, and yet he still finds his way to get his goals. Uh, he's been very very impressive, and um, Kucherov, of course, has a billion points. So um, you know we're going to exalt him like we always do. But Braden Point has probably been more valuable. Uh, than Kucherov because of the goals he's getting because it's just hard to get goals. See, I don't mind Reggie Leach either because as a kid growing up in New York, Reggie Leach and Rick McLeish were the least of the dirty flyers that I, you know, so I didn't hate them as much with the same vitriol as some of the other guys. But you didn't like the diver known as Bill Barber? Listen, you know what? I had a lot of respect for Bill Barber. I knew he dove, but this guy could play. And so, like, Bill Barber, I did have respect for. Bill Barber was the most exaggerated diver in the history of the world. (laughs) Yeah, there's no question. I mean, it was just like, it it was comical, you know. Like, he would just launch himself. Yeah. Uh, It was just, it was hilarious. Compared to Nazem Kadri, he was Greg Luganis. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anthony. You notice I wasn't arguing with any of that. You know, Anthony, the thing the thing that puzzles me about Tampa Bay, and like I said, we're gonna get to we're gonna get to mm-hmm. Vegas, Montreal in a few minutes. We're just gonna do, do this while Dan's on the show. Um, Braden Point is making six point seven five million dollars. That to me is an is more obscene than Kucherov being on LTIR all year because Kucherov at least was injured. You know, Braden Point should have broke the bank, but because Tampa it's the Tampa accounting too, right? Yeah. And, and, and the no no Florida state backs and all those well, things. Okay. Well that, they, they, that is something that they have leveraged. And again, it does come down to the player deciding, you know, hey, this is the place that I want to be. I'm being paid fairly well for my services. 
like, you know, you're, you're, you're saying comparatively with some of the, some of the other production, but it, you would see old phrases, you know, the plate, where's the place that you're happiest to play, you know, where you feel like you're having the best balance of making good money while playing on a highly successful, highly successful hockey team. That's the, thing, that's the thing, and it's to their credit as well, because, you know, so many of their players are now taking team-friendly discount deal, a bit like Max Brodeur did with the Devils for years, because he wanted the team to win, kind of leave cap space for other people. Otherwise, you end up on your own, and you can't win with four players making like 10 million each. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the NBA has done a better job of that um, for the, from the players' perspective. Now their salary levels are a little higher, too, which I think makes it a little bit easier, but... But, you know, they get together and say, hey, look, this is what we're going to do. What, you know, you take this, I'll take that, and then we can all play together. Um, they really do a good job of that. And if Braid Point wants to take less, I think he should be applauded because uh, obviously he's putting winning first. Um, he wants to be part of a winning team. So, and we, we it's all, again, it's only obscene in the it, from the viewpoint of someone on Toronto, you know, from from a Toronto perspective. Well, no, I was I was just about to, just about to say. I, I'm sorry, I'm tweaking you, Mike. Say, I have to at do least that. at least John Tavares took two million less. He would have taken thirteen from San Jose, so he took eleven <laughs> to go back home. But he didn't, did he? <laughs> He's not the problem. problem, Anthony. I'm sorry, who? Who who are we talking about? <laughs> that, re- that reminds me of one of my all-time favorite quotes from the former LA Kings owner Bruce McNaugh, who said, a million here, a million there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh but by the way, Dan, I wanna I wanna get your I wanna get your input on this before we have, before you have to go. Um <laughs> So after game six, as you referenced, Anthony Bavillier had, quote, a beer shower. Um, Alan Hahn, who was on ESPN radio, said that that was a celebration of the potentially the final game at Nassau Coliseum, whereas somebody on this panel, who I won't mention – who said that it was a protest against the bathroom situation at Nassau Coliseum. Do you have any insight on what that, what that was? I'm not familiar with the bathroom situation at the Coliseum. I'll explain it after. It was okay. me. It's funny. Uh, I, I knew it was you, though. I already knew that. Um, and, uh, I, you know, we look, weren't I, guessing about that. I don't quite understand it. I think Barzell said it best. He's like, okay, that was weird and a little dangerous, but we'll go with it. Um, I don't quite understand it. Uh, I think the rally towels throwing them probably would have been better. But, um, you know, this fan base is a little um, is a little odd. I'm not going to lie. And uh, very passionate, delusional, crazy. Look, if they, if they get to the final and they clinch on home ice, the fans will tear down the Coliseum for them. Oh, yeah, so if you think it's bad now, if they, won on, if they won on home ice, I don't even know what would happen. So, no, but but Dan, I heard from a couple fans. We all knew that when Nassau Coliseum got remodeled, they didn't do anything about the bathrooms. And no, apparently, they made it worse. They made it worse, actually. Right, and apparently for these games, they didn't even have enough porta potties, knowing that the bathrooms wouldn't be good enough. So what happened was, in between intermission, before the overtime, people got stuck, and a lot of people did not get to see the goal. Mm-hmm. So when they went back to their seats, the beers that they caught, kind of stored up for overtime, they threw on the ice. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's right. But that's what I've heard was the deal. Interesting. It's an interesting, um, interesting Theory. conspiracy. I don't know. Um, it's, not, well, it's possible. 
it's very possible. We'll we had three or four people in this chat room say it would take them a half hour sometimes just to go from their seat to the bathroom and back because the lines are so bad. Yeah, I used to try and sit where I knew where bathrooms were. And then when we were, we were hanging on a TV timeout, I'd run right before the TV timeout. I mean, that's crazy that you have to be that way. Mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, That'll be, all be over soon. So the new arena will have plenty of bathrooms. Correct. The new arena looks great. Yes, and they've they've sold out all their season tickets apparently, which is uh, I think fairly impressive. So when did they say it was that building's going to be ready in in November? Should be maybe it should. They think still opening night, but it might be it might be pushed back like a month. I can see it being pushed a little bit, yeah, right, because they did they did have to stop during COVID for a couple months. So, well, uh, Dan, I'm sure it's gonna you're gonna be highly entertained tonight for the, for that game. Uh, the Stanley Cup final will open either. At the Nassau Coliseum or at Amelie Arena. What, what beer are you drinking tonight, Dan? I don't know yet. It's going to be a lot, though. It's going to be a lot. And I know, Crush, you're the closest one, right? So if I need bail money, I can call you, right? Yeah, you can call me. Okay. Because right, if, they, if they lose. It'll cost, you, it'll cost you Met tickets, but you can call that's me. That's fine. If they lose, there's going to be some disorderly conduct. If they win, there's going to be a lot of disorderly conduct. So I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going to yeah. happen tonight. I pray for myself and my well-being. Yeah, Montreal knows nothing about that, right, Corinne? No, we never, we never do anything on disorderly conduct. You I don't know what you're talking about. The best of them. I saw it, man. Uh, well, Dan, thanks, thanks for coming coming in on the show. Sure. Uh, thanks, we'll everybody. Have you. Hopefully, yeah. we'll have you sometime next week if the Islanders do win and uh, in between one of the games. But thanks for coming. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone. That, that's Dan Petru, former uh, former hockey hockey buzzer. We can make, if he ends up in jail, we can connect, we can, we can make his one phone call to our show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Gordon, go ahead. Give us give us give us all your stuff. Go ahead. Oh. Well, I'll start by saying that on this very buzzcast, I think about two weeks ago, I said, yeah. you know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? The Abs are going to win it in six because they're going to win it on Saint Jean Baptiste Day on Quebec's National Day. And they did it in your face. I'm so glad about that. You have no idea. Because you know what? This this cup run actually feels like it's destiny almost. And it just made sense that it would end up being like a scenario of a movie that they would win on that night. And they even pushed it a bit further with Dano finally getting a point on the game-winning goal. It was just like, wow. Are we in the Vanille Weig's head or something? The, the, the movie I was ridiculous. thinking was Nightmare on Elm Street. But... Uh... <laughs> But when the puck was up in the air in overtime, when Vegas was close to scoring, were you still thinking that? Like you knew. It yes, was. I was. But you know, you, you know the one moment where I was okay. really, really scared—the icing call. That wasn't an icing. When it hit Leonard Pad and they they put it back in the zone, I was like, "What is this?" And then to see Pacioretty of all people to have the puck on the end of his stick and yeah. have the end of the series, that I was, was like, "No, no, no, not when him, not him." When, I, when, I, when, it, when that happened, when it was on his stick, I was like, "This, if it's him, oh God, Henry yeah. is not going to be happy at all." That, that was just awful. Seriously, I. I, I watched the game at my cousin's actually because we always watch the big important games together, and we both were just like, ah! I mean, if someone had taken a picture, we would it would have looked like we were on the highest of all roller coasters, coasters going 120 miles an hour. It was just, and that was that was the term I was going to use, Kevin, was roller coaster because Weber scores that goal, in first, <laughs> and they and and the, the great tip on the Petrangelo shot to tie at 1-1. And then it was sort of a chess match. Then the and then Montreal took the lead, and then Vegas tied it early. And then I thought, just like in game four, 
Vegas, at, as it got closer to the end of regulation, really rallied. And I said to Russ when he was when we were on the phone in between the third period and overtime, this is a repeat of Game Four. They're going to come out and they're going to score like a minute and a half into into the into overtime. Problem was, it was Montreal that scored in a minute and a half. And you know what? I, I really thought that um, Montreal would win that overtime. As I was thinking to myself, if they resist the third period, they're going to win in OT. But they needed that break to settle, though, because the defense was totally gassed. And that's normal because they've, they've been using the top four so much. Right. And right. two of the top four are really injured. I mean, Weber had a first goal, but his thumb is still broken. Yeah. Petrie's got two fingers dislocated. He can't shoot anymore. And on that Weber goal, I'm not even sure if it goes in if Jesperi Kotkaniemi doesn't do that amazing screen. Seriously. And yeah. But Kevin, your thoughts? Well, I mean, this is just one of the most impressive performances uh, from a team for three rounds that I can remember. And I've covered the league a long time. And, you know, what struck me last night, I ended up writing about it today. And we talked about it on previous shows. You know, I've been around long enough to have seen all the different trends for trying to win. You know, back in the 80s and early 90s, there was the big goalie trend. Everybody was trying to get big. And just in recent years, we've talked about teams getting heavier. We've talked about the getting younger and the speed and everything. But what never changes, what is always uh, a, a constant, is goaltending plus good defense plus playing really well like the Canadians. Just, that always works no matter what else is going on in the ice. And then you throw in that they got like an X factor in Cole Caulfield, which, you know, gives you just such a spark. He's always a half stride away from, from being on a breakaway. And then they've had a bunch of guys kind of raise their levels. Like Corey Perry has no business um, being the factor that he was. Well, uh, in this season, let this me series, let me so. dispute that for a second because he did it last year. Mm-hmm. Now, what what the what the I thought four, he was I thought he was better for for Montreal this year than he was. I would agree. Yeah. I would actually agree. Like yeah. Perry, we didn't see enough of until we got to the final, and that's when it, last year mm-hmm. with Dallas, and that's when I thought yeah he was more noticeable. But for most of that postseason, he was not. This no, postseason, however. He's been very. I think he's been very, a noticeable factor. For but maybe, maybe the common theme here is we had a shortened regular season last year, a shortened regular yeah. season this year. In both of the years, he essentially mailed in the entire, most of the regular season. He wasn't much of a factor with Montreal this year. He had a terrible regular season with Dallas, and then. He saved up his energy for the playoffs, and then he's the pain in the ass, Corey Perry. Oh, and yeah. Is, yeah. It, is that a formula, or it, when it's an 82-game season? Well, no, I, I I think that's just kind of the extras. The formula was Corey Perry's phenomenal. Like, I'm watching that game last night and going, man, that's awesome. You know, that's yeah. just, like he's like he just played so well, and the, the defense played well enough against – I mean, Vegas was the third highest scoring team in the league this season. And they only got what two goals, uh, uh, two or fewer goals, goals. five times out of the six games. So, yeah. no, no. like, uh, they, 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 the formula was they just took the time trusted uh, formula of being really good in goal and being yeah. strong defensively, and they just played really well. Like they played so much better than Vegas. So. That's what yeah, they, they did, and I and, and I want I want to turn this into a little bit of a postmortem on Vegas because we'll talk more. Hold on, I want to talk about Montreal first. Yeah. Go ahead, go. <laughs> so, what I wanted to say is, we were all kind of like not getting when Caulfield didn't get in the series early on, right? And I went back just now and looked. I ranked Caulfield sixth in that draft because I thought he was special. I did, 
And we're starting to see plays like he made that goal was a special play. Like the young player to make a heady play like that and get around the defenseman and go really just fast in on Leonard high where he couldn't do anything. That is a, an amazing play. And honestly, and Corinne may disagree, but I don't think they would win this series without Cole Caulfield because what I had mentioned before he got in there was, if nothing else, he would create a spark because this guy is always smiling. He loves the game. And I heard the players saying yesterday that he absolutely loosened up that locker room and he brought that spirit there that this kid's got so much spirit to play. And they were they were sagging a little bit before him. I, I don't think I would entirely disagree. But I, what I would say, though, is that Montreal is a team. It's, it's just a, a fantastic mixture. Yes. You know, so you can't really pinpoint one person that that's been no, but then you feel head like and shoulders needed, above everything else. But before yes, Caulfield, got in, no. before Caulfield got in, didn't you feel like they needed a spark and a potential offense? Well, spark? yes, they did. But you know what I'll tell you, though, Caulfield, yes, he's amazing on the ice and off the ice. What I really liked about the guy is that when Leonard came out and said we had scouting on him, we knew he was shooting five all or eye up. And, you know, I know how to stop him. Cofield's reaction was just priceless. He was like, well, I'm glad he's opening his big mouth. He's thinking about what I'm doing, and that's a good sign. And then he backs up what he just said by scoring goals in two consecutive games. I, I mean, go back to what this Caulfield, is a kid. Yeah, I go back to what Caulfield told me with the NTDP. He said, look, I know there's a book on me. I know people know where I shoot from and how I shoot, but I'm constantly changing my angle. I'm constantly changing my shot just a little each time because he knows, and he knows that's enough to make a difference, even if a team is scouting him. And he knew that when he was, you know, 19 years old. Anthony, I, I love the comment of former flyer Eric Gustafson. Apparently he was, because Eric Gustafson was a was a teammate of Alex DeBrinket in Chicago, mm-hmm. and he was asked about the comparisons between Cole Caulfield and DeBrinket, and he deadpan said, I thought that was DeBrinket. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and Ross and I were talking about this yesterday. Alex Debrinket, what Caulfield and Debrinket have in common, besides their short shortness of stature, mm-hmm. is the fact that they were underestimated in those particular drafts to the point mm-hmm. that, like Russ and I were shaking our heads with. I mean, Debrinket, I mean, Debrinket criminally so. Debrinket was criminal. How long he went in that draft, and we thought he was no later than late mid to late first round at mo- yeah. at worst. And Don't he forget dropped- he wasn't picked for the U.S. junior team either. Right. They had, yeah. They, yeah, they shunned him too. The worst part of the team was even if you had never seen him play, if you just looked at his numbers, he was like a 100-point scorer at every level he was at. Every single level he dominated, every single level he was a top scorer, if not the top scorer in the league, top five, and yet that still happened. Now, Corinne, I'll ask the stupid question, and I'm sure that you'll I, – I, I think I know what your answer will be, but do right. you think in their heart of hearts, uh, Mark Bergevin, Carey Price, everybody on the Habs has a preference about who wins tonight between the Islanders and Tampa? I I don't think they do. You know, there's a French saying that says, qui choisit prend pire, he who chooses picks worse. I don't know what the English equivalent is, but that's the loosely translation version. And this abs team fears no one and nothing. You know, they took on Toronto, which were meant to wipe the floor with them. I think they it means whatever, hap- whatever happens, happens. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, it's just like, 
I, I don't think they do have a preference. They're just going to be sat in front of their televisions tonight and they're going to be studying this game and they're going to be like, okay, this is what we need to do. And I know that Tampa has got a devastating defense, but they've not faced a defense like Montreal's got. I mean, I got to mention so, one thing too. About two weeks ago, two, two and a half weeks ago, I had a conversation with Shane Malloy because I was just got off serious radio and I was talking about goalies and they were asking me about who I thought were Hall of Famers and who I thought weren't. And I said, you know, Carry Price is on the bubble. I said, I feel like if he could carry his team this year, then maybe this would get him. And and Shane and I were talking about that. And I said, what do you think it's going to take for him to do it? And we both came up with, you know what? If he gets to the conference finals, that's really close. And if he gets to the cup, then he's on par with Henrik Lundqvist. And we, so we were talking about it. Like this is, this is a very, I agree. This is, this, this run reminds me a lot of Lundqvist's run. Yeah. I, um, I think. Go ahead. Finish. Sorry. Sorry. Well, I, I just I just want to say that I think Price, whether or not he wins the Stanley Cup, is in the Hall of Fame for me. I think he's he's rewritten the Abs record book, so I think he's in the the Hall of Fame. What he couldn't get though, if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, he's not going to the rafters because you need a right. cup to be in That's Montreal right. ceiling. But I think he'd get in the Hall of Fame because it's not just the NHL Hall of Fame; it's hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, he needed to just carry his team one time in the playoffs. So everybody could lose that argument. That's what we both felt when we yeah. got off the phone call. And he's done that. He, well, he's done it in 2014 as well before being injured by When are they putting up uh, Yaroslav Halak into the raft? <laughs> oh, they're not. There used to be the Alak Spring, but make way yeah. for the price summer. That's why, that's why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, do you think that do you think that Montreal has a preference here? Or I mean eight. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I think they, you have to view uh, Tampa Bay as the most talented team, but I don't think that I, I, I think they know they're playing as well as either of those teams. Um, right. and they are, they're playing as well as either of those teams. So I don't think they fear either team, but I mean, if I was uh, a Montreal fan, I would want to, to get rid of Tampa just because they just have more weapons. I mean, they got arguably the best goalie in the world, at least the players. Right. So, and they, they have a defenseman that's always in the uh, Norris trophy race now. Um, and they got a dynamite offense um, when healthy. So I, I think if, if I'm a fan, I'd say, let's just get rid of the talented team because we know we can work as hard as the Islanders. Now, Anthony, I always love these observations. I don't know if I believe them, okay. but I heard somebody on Toronto radio this morning, and it wasn't specific to the Leafs. It was more about what, where the league is going if cer certain things happen. And they said that if the if it's the Islanders and Montreal in the final, that um, no matter who wins, it's going to be as impactful as the '95 Devils in terms of the way teams think and the way teams build teams and and a focus on defense that will be sort of stifling, like the '95 Devils was. Perhaps I, I'm more. I think there's definitely going to be starting this off season. I think a target towards. Uh, really good defensive forwards. I think that's the one thing that both of these teams have is that, you know, these are defensively effective forwards and they don't necessarily have to be, you know, you know, scores per se, but that they're able to play with, play with a lot of speed, uh, disrupt, you know, offensive flow. And I think that's something that could be a pattern. Do I think it's going to be a massive shift towards clutch and grab hockey? like it was in the 90s with the Devils? 
not necessarily going to be on board with that. I think there are, we've had enough different teams win cups in recent years where it should be at this point when we know things are copycat in sports. But whatever your team strength is, you have to leverage it. And you can, if you make a complete shift towards something else, thinking this is the way you have to play in order to win, Kevin has laid out the blueprint. He said it in his own – what he said. The one thing that all teams have in common is you should have a good goaltender. You should have a team that plays strong defensively. And is able to to you know to to close out games. That should be the pattern in that regard. Russ, how much of a raise do you think Philip Deneau has earned himself in free agency this year? An amazing one. I mean, I, I give Boomer Gordon credit on Sirius because he had brought it up more than a few times, wondering why during the season, like he didn't have a contract. And so yeah, now he um he could be a cat buster for them because he's really raised his worth. But you know, the other thing is and Mike, when we when we talk about Vegas, I do think teams overreact to what happens in the playoffs and the Stanley Cup. And I do think Vegas is one of those teams because what happens is you fasten yourself against one of those teams, and then another team like the Canadians comes in, and they're not that team. They actually have a blend of everything, and that is you know, and it's a lot harder to get that blend of everything. By the way, that's why Bergevin did a great job in the off season by looking really looking at things that were missing on that team. And trying to do it, even with the expensive backup goaltender, which I think the whole group here backed that up because we knew Price was getting overplayed. So a lot of those things did lead into this. And Kevin, shifting one, to go, – go ahead, Kevin. Well, I was just going to say one thing that I, I would say, because we all know how overcoached uh, the NHL is. And, you know, the, the, the modern coaching system is so elaborate. Like, you know, they study – what all coaches are doing. And now we've had two consecutive seasons where uh, Barry Trotz has taken a team that, you know, didn't look like it was going to be able to make a run and they've made a run. And, and, you know, he did it without Andrews. He looked, remember how poorly the Islanders were struggling to score a goal Oh yeah, at the end yeah. of the season. So I think a lot of people are going to look at what Barry Trotz is doing. A lot of coaches around the league and saying, okay, what, what is his system? What is he really doing? Because it's been effective in two consecutive postseasons. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Now, shifting to Vegas here, you know, and I was mentioning this to Russ yesterday. The team that reached the Stanley Cup final in their first year, 17-18, and the team that just lost in the conference final or semifinal for the second year in a row. These teams are night and day in terms of the way that they play. If you, they were the little engine that could that, that year that they made the Stanley cup final, they were fast. They were very, they were sound defensively and they had great goaltending. This team, they're big, they're lumbering uh, and their goaltending in spite of spending 12 million bucks on, on their goaltending. <clears throat> was second best in this series. And that's why I wonder, Kev, with an owner like Bill Foley, who I think is a, a bit reactionary, that's why I was talking about Peter DeBoer potentially losing his job because I don't know where they go with the, the their team so up against the cap. Well, th that's the issue. Uh, and I agree with you about their owner. I mean, I think he is. He tends to overreact. However, I don't see them getting rid of uh, Pete DeBoer. I think there's uh, – a pretty uh, good recognition that he's done a really good job with that team within the management group. And I think even Foley um, is aware uh, that he's done that, but I, I think they're going to have to look long and hard. And, 
you know, where I said a week ago, well, I guess they'll just come back with both goalies again next season. Now I, I'd say there's no chance of that. Right. <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> I think they'll – because they've got to find some cap space. Right. Because uh, they're going to have to address their center situation. So, you know, something's got to give. And I think it w- will be – there will be something significant that happens uh, to that team even beyond the goaltending. I think some people are going to have to be moved. Well, here's what we have to talk about, though. A lot of times when teams get to a cup and lose, it's very hard to get back. Sometimes they never get back. That's right. And Vegas is now sort of tracking that way. And if they break the bank, let's say they trade either Peyton Krebs or Cody Glass to get that center, they get rid of Flurry to get that cap space, and they go all in again next year and they don't do it, they're bankrupting their their franchise for the future. Like they are already on track to do that. And that would be the path that they'd be on at that point. And ironically, they can't even rely on the expansion draft as a no. as a means of cap relief because they're exempt. I mean, they might almost actually want to be in the expansion draft to, yeah, be, right. to, be, in, yeah. to be able yeah. to rid themselves of a big of a big contract, but they can't. So well, I, I saw this morning that uh, uh, what was the name? He covered the uh, Vegas the first season for the uh, Las Vegas newspaper. Steve uh, Steve Carver. Steve Carver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he had uh, something in, on Twitter about uh, Vegas being in the Eichel sweepstakes. Like you, you can't be more dramatic change than that. So, yeah, um, trade Robin Hunter to Buffalo. <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty good reporter. So, no, no, he's a very good reporter. Yeah. I just think, yeah, they're getting in dangerous territory, and honestly, they're getting in dangerous territory. I'm going to broach this to the panel. If they have a choice, let's say they knew they could sign John Tortorella for a one-year contract or keep Peter DeBoer, which would you do with this team? And I would sign Torts and get rid of DeBoer because DeBoer showed me nothing in the, in this series, nothing. Well, I, I don't think so. But he, but, he had a master, but he had a master class the previous series against the team that everybody thought was going to be in the cup final. it doesn't matter. This is this yeah, is the it does. One. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean – Okay, and you also lose. You also loses it. You also loses it. You know, the center situation came back to bite them early in that series. It's things he played, but that's he not, played no roster constructions. He that's did the awesome. opposite of what Montreal did. He you're going to no fire players. a guy off one play, but here's the thing: you're firing him off a of one playoff series. No, that's I'm firing him off of results that are based on bad decisions. And this isn't the only series he's ever had bad decisions, but this is one that it's hurt him the most. Well, I, I heard a theory today. Well, they thought that the series against Colorado was their Stanley Cup final and they were looking past <laughs> Montreal. Shut up. I mean, honestly, one thing it's one thing to, to play the team that you're, you've tied for the president trophy with. You're not in the Stanley Cup final yet. You have to beat another team to get there. So if, if that was the mindset of that team, then that's another case, another uh, mark towards firing DeBoer. You've got to have a perspective there of, okay, you've got to beat the next team before you've got before you have a chance to get to the Stanley Cup final. So I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't buy that. I mean, I can't believe that they would actually think like that, but you know, I, I can't, I also can't explain how badly they played against Montreal because a couple times in the series, I thought they were just completely off kilter, and it was there was no reason for them to be off kilter. Well, I mean, I'll just say this though: if they go after Eichel, they're going to lose every last asset they have. Well, okay, go go ahead, Perrin, and then I'll talk. I'm, about I'm just I'm just not sure they played that bad against Montreal. Though the phenomenon which we've seen in the three series with the, the Habs is that they 
managed to shut down the biggest forwards of the opposition. That's what they did to Stone. That's what they did to Pacioretty. And they were good at it. So it's not necessarily that they were bad. Got to give some credits to the to the ad. Hang on, hang on. And as for the ball and his decisions, I think he was actually right to go with Robin Leonard after Math did that blunder because the Montreal crowd would have been very, very hard on him. He, you know, he lacks confidence. That's an issue for Marc-André Fleury. So going back to Leonard made sense to me. It really did. And then when you get to Vegas with the full building and everyone behind them, going back to math also makes sense. But what he didn't account for is that that very loud and intimidating building of 18,000 people, the moment the opposition takes the lead, just quiets down. The yeah. hair gets sucked out, sucked out of the building, and nothing's and, going their way anymore. And that was the problem. I mean, I, I don't think it was on the coaching decision that and, much. And, and I can say this because I said it before, so I'm not being a hypocrite. I would have started Leonard in Game Five and not gone back to Flurry. I mean, right. I, I would have done the same thing. You no, know, I mean, we we see the results, so he can't really right. do anything about that. Yeah, yeah. but if, okay, as a with Eichel, if Vegas got into the Eichel scenario. They're not going to be trading. They're not going to be trading prospects because they're going to have to clear ten million dollars worth of salary. So you know, Russ. I mean, you're probably talking about a deal that includes an Alex Tuck, or, or sure, they're going to lose some of that too. But they're going to get a key prospect too. Don't I don't, think yeah, I don't even think they can do it. No, yeah. no, don't know why. And I know it's Vegas, but that's one hell of a gamble. I mean, yeah. come on, we don't even know if he'll want to have that operation thing. Will he be able to produce after that? You you don't throw caution to the wind for that. You, you well, just don't. Well, no, what, what I'm saying is there, it's going to have to be uh, somebody like an Alex Tuck, so somebody young to for, for the Sabres to, to <laughs> be a part of their core going forward. They're probably going to have to take Flurry as the, the cap relief, and the Sabres could do that because they have – tons of cap space and and no goaltender for next year it would have to be a deal along those lines and i don't know whether that deal on top of the risk with eichel's neck because nobody really knows what's going on with that whether that's a move that would be beneficial for vegas i gotta tell you even just getting eichel doesn't improve the slow slow footedness of some of their defense it definitely doesn't improve all they're gonna lose they're probably gonna lose alec martinez to free agency again yeah the rumor the rumor is, Corinne, Alec Martinez is Montreal bound. Right. So I'm not considering that until this is no, over. No, I was <laughs> saying, if they even push everything to the center and get Eichel, it doesn't cure all the team's problems. Kev, do you think that Eichel would, would cure the ills of the no. Vegas Golden Knights? No. I, plus, I just think it would be, you know, we know what Buffalo wants. It's, you know – and they don't even have the pieces in order to right, do therein that. Therein lies the problem. Yeah, and they also have, you know, issues as you mentioned, just clearing cap. I mean, Martinez will move on; they'll get four million there. Uh, I bet they can trade Flurry now with one year left. They they would need to get another in order for them to be involved, Kevin. I would think another team would have to be involved. Well, that something was, that goes to that yeah. team and those and it had to be a three. It had to be three. You can never say never because uh, right. they can figure it out. But I I don't see that happening. But mm -mm. I, I I think what's probably going to happen is uh, like the middle of everything that we've talked about. Like they are going to make some significant changes, but they won't involve DeBoer. And I don't, you know, it'll probably be guys that they move out will be you know guys that. Um, 
you know, are not absolutely crucial. Like, you know, Stone's not going anywhere, Pasher, any of those type guys. You know, it'll still be the same team. They'll, um, but they're going to make some changes around the edge, and they're going to have to try to find a center. So yeah. there's no doubt about that. And I and I give Stone credit for for fessing up and saying, you know, I I just got skunked in this series. I mean, yeah, that, and that's all fine and good. But I mean, you're the you're the captain, you're the top player on this team, and you had no points in the series. I mean, if you want to if you want a thumbnail sketch of why they lost, there you go. Their top six had yeah. goals in the series. Well, I agree with that, but you know, Karen is right, and I've been saying this all along. Every series, we keep looking at what went wrong with the other team instead of no, saying what went right with Montreal. Yeah, Montreal yeah, well, is really, really, really good, mm-hmm. really good, and yeah. they made three good teams look at times ridiculous because they couldn't get anything going. And I think we're just we're losing sight of that. So. I mean, I agree that, you know, Vegas uh, could have been better. They could have been better in the other series as well. But, you know, sometimes you're not because the other team is very good. And can they do it to fourth? We'll find out. We'll find out next week. But, uh, Corinne, I have the solution. I'm going to pick the Montreal Canadiens to win the Stanley Cup. Don't you dare. (laughs) No. No. You're not welcome on the bandwagon. Stop the wagon. I'm them. Okay, so let uh, Kev. I want to get your uh, opinion on this before we do our pet peeves. Um, Dave Hackstall as the Seattle Kraken head coach. Um, I think Ron Francis should be drafted into the CIA because nobody heard that. No, no, they really didn't. And uh, I don't know whether the story was true, but I I love the story that that he he developed uh, his interest in him by a, a car ride during a scouting trip. Uh, they happened to share a car, and they ended up talking hockey, and Francis remembered that conversation and how impressed he was of Hextall's uh, knowledge. I, I didn't see this coming. Um, I, you know, he does have a history of uh, being good with younger players at the college level. I'm not sure, he, you know, that the Flyers people would agree, but uh, – um, you know, he certainly has uh, background in that. So what that leads me to believe is, is they're going to be a little bit different maybe than the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll see. I, I'm kind of surprised by it. But, you know, what's the best coach for a patchwork team? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, do you, no, that, I mean, you he, know? he is so. a coach that, that gets you structure. He right. He's a coach that never is more one way than the other, not too mean, not too nice. Right. He's a coach that's boring at times, which, again, if your team is losing a lot at the beginning, that's probably a good thing, too. So he's good, though, but he always talks. Dave Haxtell will always answer the bell to the media as far as talking. Whether you get what you want out of Dave Haxtell, that's a whole other thing. But, you know, I, I brought it up the other day, Kev. He'll sign some, you know, North Dakota guys that go maybe college free agent. I named one already. I think there's a couple more. And those kinds of things are valuable. Now, Francis could fall victim, though, the same way Ron Hextall did, because Hextall became enamored with with Hextall. Exactly during the time when when this, when when Brett had been was there as well, he right. got to know Hack, and they they had, you know, they had a meeting of the minds in terms of philosophies, I think, and I think that's that's again what sounds like what has occurred here. But, yeah, Ron Francis. But, 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 I will, but I will say that I talked to a general manager, and that was his comment to me. I don't know whether he's good for that team. They don't even have a team yet. Right. Right. Yeah, so. Exactly. But then, but then, but but what Hackstall is, and what he's purported to be, as a I think somebody used the phrase yesterday, a starter coach, 
I mean, yeah, makes makes a lot of sense because yeah. Ron Francis he has more than one hire. This is his first yeah. hire. If if Hackstall establishes a structure and, and 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 teaches young players how to play, two three years down the road, if they're ready then to be a playoff team. Maybe he's not the coach. Maybe they move on to somebody else. And, you know, I'm sure Hackstall is not thinking about that right now. Maybe Francis is not thinking about that right now. But two or three years down the road, he might be thinking about that. And that's not a bad plan to have. So, you know, and then, right, it, it is right. He doesn't have a team to, to even coach right now. So he doesn't know who the players are going to be. So that'll be the interesting thing next month. So, okay. Um, restaurant pet peeves. They, Russ and I were – Throwing this around yesterday, this was a this was a good a good conversation because um, I went to a a national chain steakhouse and somebody in my uh, dining party ordered a filet mignon well done, which to me is that that's that's a extreme pet beef peeve. jerky large scale beef jerky. <laughs> Yeah, that's an extreme pet peeve because basically you're dining on shoe leather. Then, basically, yeah. that's what it is. But you know, start start with you, Kevin, because you've got a, a backlog of these. Um, <laughs> give, give, us, give us one of your pet peeves, and then we'll go around the horn. Yeah, I, well, I got a bunch of them. Uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time at a lot of restaurants with a lot of sports writers, and uh, my biggest pet peeve is I don't want to be in a group where people are sending back their meals and. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't either. Are, are talking about service. Like males don't talk about service. Like, you know, we go, we order our meal, then we chat. We, when it shows up, it shows up. We eat it. We continue to talk. We have some beers and drink. We don't talk about whether the service has been good or bad or indifferent, uh, unless obviously something catastrophic. Uh, happens. Uh, so that, that would be probably my biggest. Uh, Russ, uh, Russ, Russ found it hard to believe that I have, I'm of the same mind. I will never in a, in a sit down restaurant, send something back to, to the, to the kitchen. Russ found that because you'll, you'll unwrap your McDonald's burger. And if it's not right, you're rushing inside. I'm rushing inside. Russ, I make sure I go inside because I make sure that they're not going to spit on my burger when I, you know, I, you don't know what they're doing in the kitchen. That's the that's the whole point. Look, I work in kitchens. I get that, but I'm just saying I was skeptical. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a big pet peeve of mine. The and this has been going on ever since I was in the hotel restaurant business and learned how to know the business and cooking a little bit. The hoax of the shrimp cocktail. It's anywhere from ten bucks to twenty bucks. Yeah. It's the same four or five shrimp, and it just decides how much lettuce they're going to give you how much tartar sauce they're going to put in the middle to spread it all out. And they just kind of plop the, the shrimp on the side and it's, they, they make it in 30 seconds and they make like 400% profit. Can't argue that. Yeah. Anthony, I, 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 the well, the well done steak certainly is, is on that list. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. getting that. That's just, I, that's just, and if I grew up in a house where my mom tended to overcook the steaks and I didn't understand how, you know, I, what was the fascinating with steak? My dad would put on it before he tasted it. Yeah, a one. Yeah, I'm definitely no no steak sauce. Oh, that was a rule. My my for my my dad owning a grocery store. It's like anybody buys an a one steak sauce, you're like, <laughs> you said you taste the sauce, you don't taste the steak. Yeah, I'm like, good point, Dad. I got you. Unfortunately, Mom overcooks the damn thing. I can't taste anything. So. Well, Anthony, I that be for me though. Honestly, in a restaurant, probably would be, um, when I see like a. 
thirty dollar drink. Like they have a mixed drink that's pop that's that's bordering on thirty bucks from the mixologist. From the mixologist, <laughs> it's uh, it's like yeah, send me a beer, please. <laughs> Give me a beer, please. Uh, Karen, go ahead. I'm gonna piggyback off what Kevin was saying about um, men never complaining about service. I very, very rarely do that. But the one exception is technically the customer is always right. Okay, can we agree on that? Yeah. And generally, it seems to be the case. But in Europe or in certain countries in Europe, it's not. I went to a restaurant in Paris once, and I was trying to order a diet coke. So us French Canadians, we say Coke Diet. So I asked for Coke Diet, please. The waiter looks at me and he's like, a cocktail? No, a Coke Diet. Cocktail. Which one? No, Coke Diet. Ah, a Coca Light. Light is not even a French word. Uh, no, but here's the thing: in Europe, though, this the when they distribute differently, and it is Coke Light. When we bought it in Paris. It is actually it's not Diet Coke. It's Coke Light there. Yes, maybe, but my point is you're meant to make the effort to understand the customer, not make them feel like a dumbass. And those very same people, when they yeah. came to visit London and they were asking for their way mm -hmm. out to get to such and such place, when I answered them in French, in my French-Canadian accent, miraculously, they would understand everything. I think you just okay. found a snootier city than Montreal and you were mad about it. Yeah. I think that's really what it boiled down to. What? And Montreal is not smooth. I've eaten in a lot of restaurants where they know you don't speak French and they pretend they don't know English and I've had to point at the menu and it's very frustrating because they know you know they know enough that if I say, hey, I would like this, that they know it. And it's like, so stop. stop I, would, I would say this. Come I would on. Say in, in France, the customer is never right. That's um, true. <laughs> I, I have eaten in a lot of French restaurants and it's – you know, I go in, you got to gird your loin. So when you go in to eat at a French, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because you know, it's not going to go well. Um, you're going to say something that they're not going to like, right. uh, you know, and it's, it just never goes well in a French restaurant for uh, an American tourist. Uh, and uh, I don't know why, but uh, that, that seems to be, but I, I do have a question because I don't know the answers. Like it's everyone, and I talk about this all the time. Like everybody woke up one Tuesday and decided we were going to eat tilapia. I had never heard of tilapia, and then all of a sudden it's on every menu. And now the big thing is, and you go, and if you get a soft drink at a restaurant in the U.S. now, at at some kind of uh, like chain uh, restaurant, it it is like a bucket, like this gigantic. Yeah, everything super. Everything is giant size. When I order a soda, I, I just want a little glass. No, but I can tell you why it's like that. You don't want a bucket. You know why? Because they don't want to go back and forth three or four times. They want to. Okay. Yeah. Well, I thought you might know that. So. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Sheesh. Now, yeah, but can, okay. can I just say though about American service? It's not exactly great either. As a British people person if you go and you order a glass of water the server is going to be like glass of what water what water oh water come on okay that's fair come on. You're, you're you're talking to a person who every who everybody in in and around me likes to say water yeah listen i get made fun of if my long island accent comes out water is one of those words where it comes out funny so i get it now, I, can't I, I can't stand the people who at a fast food restaurant have to have to send something back when send something back when it's like I want I want a Coke with no ice. 
and they give them ice because they give everybody ice and then they have to go back. Just dump the ice out. It's like, what the hell is the big deal? But I like, honestly, like my, my problems are sort of nitpicky. You go, you go someplace uh, for a pasta and that's undercooked. It's out like extremely al dente that, you know, or, or a steak that you order medium and it comes back rare or medium rare or, or, or wings that you ask. If you for. want a medium rare, you can send it my way, Mike. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't want, it, I don't want it moving. I'm sorry. Um, or, or wing, or wings. I, 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 I've been paranoid about like. I, oh no, I agree on that. Yeah, when it comes to chicken. Yeah, yeah. extra crispy. I, I, I can't. I, please, but a couple weeks ago, I went to a nice Italian restaurant in the city of Buffalo. I won't say the name. You know, order a, order a salad. Basically, the salad was they took a small head of romaine lettuce, cut off the bottom, spread out the leaves, poured the dressing on top of it, and they called it a romaine salad. And <laughs> like, okay, seriously, what happens in the kitchen? Just give it a, just something extremely ordinary. Give it a very fancy name. <laughs> why, don't throw, why don't you throw two friggin' croutons on it so you can call it a Caesar salad? And then, and then I order a a, a, a what sounds like a, it's going to be a great pasta dish, and it was like twenty five dollars. I don't mind paying that because I'm looking for something good, and it comes with this massive bowl that's about I would say about that big. I'd say it's about almost a foot foot wide, but the entire bowl is basically the rim. And the, the bowl that's holding the pasta is about that small. So they give you like about, uh, you know, and they did they did one of these things where, you know, they just twisted the pasta around. A, around yeah, yeah. The- I don't want my pasta in a little circle twisted. I don't want that because then I know I'm getting ripped off. I don't I'm- care about being my dad. I don't need a pound of it. I, mean, I won't eat it like that either. Trust, I needed to go get something to eat after I had dinner. I wasn't in. I wasn't full. That's when you look on the website before you go, Mike. Oh, I did. It sounded. It looked good. It sounded good. I didn't know they were using a friggin' zoom lens. If the pasta looked perfectly twirled, you knew you weren't getting a big portion of it. Well, I did. They didn't have the particular dish, but it just. It was just the point that you know. I'm sorry. I expect. You know, when I am when I'm going to some place for a, like a monster burger, I don't want something that's the size of a slider. I'm sorry. I expect to. I expect to be. Filled when I eat when I pay twenty eight dollars for dinner for pasta for dinner. Anyway, anybody else got any good ones? Uh, I've got one last one. There was this uh, pub in um, in London that was called the Maple Leaf. It was a Canadian inspired pub, and you get there and you see that wow, there's actually poutine on the menu. So you're all excited. You're gonna have poutine finally, yay! And then you order it, and the cheese is actually grated. Not curds. <laughs> so what you're presented with is like a bunch of chips in, uh, sorry, French fries for you guys, yeah, yeah. with a lot of sauce and melted grated cheese. It kind of looks like a free fry soup. And you're just like, this is all wrong. Correct. That's the one time in my life where I feel you in London poutine, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Well, you know what it is. I mean, that's like off the Montreal bagel being as good as the New York bagel. That's all. Montreal bagel reference is going to end up in this conversation before the show is over, Ross. You should have known better than, than to go into a place named the Maple Leaf and expect it to be happy with the with the service. That's all I know. No, the service was fine. It was oh, just that their idea of a poutine was just all wrong. Yeah. It's like they never tasted it. Incredible. 
Okay. All right, guys. Great show. Uh, we will be back on Monday with another edition of the Hockey Pu uh, Hockey Buzzcast for Dan Petra, for Corinne, for Anthony, for Russ, for Kevin. I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.